Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast, my friend David Smirthwaite. Welcome to the podcast, David. Thank you so much. It's, it's really an honor and pleasure to be here. Uh, David is calling in from Vietnam. We have called um, into New Zealand. I think we've done this as me, and we've called into England. So this is our third or fourth international podcast, but um, I think all of our listeners would love to go to Vietnam. It's one of the things on my bucket list, and uh, maybe we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, just by way of introduction um, for our listeners, um, David Smirthwaite is a married father of, a married husband and father of four boys, been married to nine, for 19 years and has four boys, age 15, 13, 12 and 9. He's a former bishop in the Salt Lake City University area, um, been a seminary teacher, a temple worker in the temple in Switzerland, served a mission in Milan, Italy. His wife, Marissa, served in the same mission. And I'll let him explain why he's in Vietnam. But this is a podcast about David talking about his gender dysphoria. We've been doing more of these, and I've been learning from my guests like David. So this will be a podcast for those of you that experience gender dysphoria. David and I pray that there'll be insights as he shares his journey that will be helpful for you. And those of you that don't experience gender dysphoria but want to better understand Latter-day Saints that do, I hope this podcast is helpful for you. Um, once again, David, thanks for being on the podcast. Tell a little bit about how you, our listeners, your your international journey and how you have ended up in Vietnam. <laughs> well, I'll, uh, I'll I'll make it as concise as possible. But uh, five years ago, my wife Marissa and I, we really we felt like our family was at a point, and our boys were at a point where um, where we could benefit from international exposure and. Marissa and I had served missions abroad. We'd served in Italy and we'd lived in France for a little while. And uh, we just had a really strong testimony of, of attributes that, uh, that we could help foster in our children through international experience. Um, so, um, so we felt like the timing was right. Uh, and I was able to get into an MBA program in France and we're actually there a couple of years longer than we expected. Um, and as we were reaching that point of contemplating uh, what our next move was and probably transitioning back to the States, we, we prayerfully considered our options and felt like um, we, could, we, we could and we should take one year um, living in different parts of the world um, and helping our children develop different perspectives and attributes that they, they might not have gained in living in, uh, in Western Europe. So, so we set out uh, in September and we've lived in three of our four locations, each location we've lived in for three three months at a time. So we started in uh, Spain, and then from Spain we went to Rwanda, and we were in Rwanda, Kigali, Rwanda, for three months, um, and that was a beautiful experience, um, and great to be able to interact with the church at such a, a young state there. Um, and then uh, three weeks ago, we moved here to Vietnam um, amidst kind of Things were just starting to to pick up in terms of COVID nineteen, and now we're uh, we're we're here, and we'll probably be here for a little while. We don't know how long we'll be here. You're living the dream, man. There's a lot of us um, in the states <laughs> raising kids that would love to do what you do, and it's a great time to do it. And I 
I think the the lessons your your sons are learning as they serve missions and this worldview that they have and um, understanding of different cultures and that's really wonderful things. So I think a lot of us um, recognize that it's complicated. There's probably some days yeah. I'd love to be back yeah. in Salt Lake City and uh, maybe you've got family here, but I, that's really awesome. Um, for our listeners, yeah. I just want to give, we'll do four parts of this podcast. David is, some of my um, guests um, kind of have an outline, which is a great way to organize thoughts, and it helps me. So we're going to start with David's first experience partnering with God. Uh, the second segment will be a release from all shame. I love that title. Third one will mm-hmm. be my confusing follow-up experience with God, Give It All Up. You should write a book, David. I love these titles. And the fourth mm-hmm. one is Finding Comfort in Transparency. So I'll just, why don't you start with this first segment, David, my first experience in partnering with God. Well, I think that it, it probably, um, it's, it's worth talking about my earliest experiences with, uh, with gender dysphoria. And, and that really goes back to my uh, early adolescence. I was, um, I was, around 11 years old. I don't remember the exact date, but, um, and was just at a stage in my life where, um, where I think is the case for a lot of us, I was just uncomfortable in my skin. I was, uh, transitioning from childhood to adolescence and there was a lot going on in my body. And, um, and I was kind of the, the neighborhood golden boy, uh, chubby and lovable and chipmunk cheeks and, um, and I was everybody's best friend and, uh, and, and I just ended up in this really difficult spot where, um, I didn't feel loved. I didn't feel, uh, wanted or desired. And suddenly I was craving these things in my life. Um, and, uh, and I was just, I was tremendously uncomfortable in my skin. And this is, this is really where, um, uh, my earliest memories of gender dysphoria set in was this idea of, of finding a release um, uh, from this discomfort uh, in this this recognition of these feelings of uh, of embracing myself as uh, as as someone of the opposite gender, um, and they were confusing feelings, but they were refreshing feelings at the same time, and I didn't know what to do with them, and so uh, so I did what any um, Deacon does, uh, who's grown up in the church, and I went to my bishop, and uh, and I sat down and I told him about all of these feelings, and and bless his heart, he probably hadn't had a lot of deacons come into him and and talk about these things at that at that time, um, and uh, he lovingly listened, and uh, he said, let's just try and not um, entertain these thoughts and feelings. So I did my best. Uh, at that time, and uh, and um, it led to uh, probably some unhealthy repression uh, on my part um, over the years, and that kind of that kind of ebbed and flowed for for a few decades. Um, it would uh, these feelings would crop up um, every once in a while, and I would and I would just um, I would push them back down, and 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 it went like that for for a few decades. Um, and it really wasn't until late 2017 when I finally, I got tired of the cycle. I got tired of, 
of not knowing why these feelings were present in my life, um, tired of feeling frustrated about these feelings being present in my life. Um, and that was really the first time that I, that I started to truly examine my gender dysphoria and, and, and the feelings that I was feeling at the time. That led me to a really dark and difficult time um, of, of initial exploration of going online and, and reading um, all kinds of stories of individuals. There's a, obviously there's a, there's a huge spectrum and you address this Richard in your podcast of individuals and individual experiences. And for some reason, uh, as I went online, uh, all I could find was really negative experiences, especially when it came to uh, members of the church. I obviously was not searching in the right places at the time. I was just getting whatever was popping up um, uh, first online. And there were just all of these stories of, of broken homes and uh, and and people feeling um, not satisfied and um, and depression and suicidal thoughts. And I thought, oh my goodness, what? That's scary. <laughs> what I, yeah, what did I what did I just throw myself into here in terms of trying to educate myself? And and I remember specifically kneeling down in despair and uh, and having my first real conversation with God about about this about my gender dysphoria. And, and I remember receiving so clearly an answer from him that in essence said, you know what, this is, it's okay. Um, it's okay. And in fact, this idea of who you are and how you express yourself, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, so much of this is part of this life, but what I do care about are the covenants that you made. What I do care about are the promises that you've made to me, um, the promises that you've made to your wife, Marissa, and the promises that you've made to your boys. And hearing God and feeling God telling me those things, this huge weight was lifted off my shoulders. And it didn't take away the burden. Still, I knew, I knew at the time that there was still a scary road ahead of me. But... But I knew from the get-go that God accepted me, that God recognized who I was and who I was trying to be, and he was helping to center me on the things that were most important, the things that I should focus on, as opposed to all of these scary um, variables that were coming at me from all directions that I was finding in the world. And that was uh, a great place for me to start in terms of feeling like I was starting on a path and partnering with God on this, as opposed to kind of stumbling through the dark. Love this, David. Just keep Art, keep sharing your story. That's powerful. I think things that came from from that experience was just a recognition that there's a difference between gender for me and gender expression, um, and this idea that God telling me that the expression didn't matter. He knew that I needed this at the time, and and I remember not too long afterwards uh, rereading uh, Elder Oaks' talk, um, Truth in the Plan, from, um, from October 2018, I believe. And it's a talk that I know that has been referenced in your podcast before and, and 
has been difficult for some individuals. And in rereading Elder Oak's talk, where he talks a lot about the proclamation uh, to the world, uh, I was able to, to see things in a way that made sense for me. And, and I think that one of the, one of the important things that I, I want to emphasize, and I think that is beautifully done on your podcast so often, Richard, is just, is just celebrating these, these individual life journeys and these individual paths. And, and I want to make sure that, that people understand that, that I'm speaking about my experience and my experience alone. And, and, and I don't wish by any means to, to assume that anyone else's experience is the same as mine. Um, I hope that there are things that, that I share that are helpful, helpful for individuals, but, but I don't assume that, uh, that, that what I say is the same for anyone else. But in, in rereading Elder Oak's uh, remarks and in going to back into the proclamation to the world where gender is talked about, you know, the proclamation of the world says that all human beings, male and female, are created in the image of God. Um, each is a beloved spirit, son or daughter of heavenly parents. Uh, and as such, each has a divine nature and destiny. And then it says gender is an essential characteristic of our eternal identity um, and purpose. And in, in rereading those words, the thoughts and the feelings that came to mind was just this idea of, you know, we we don't know what gender is. We don't know what God's definition of gender is. We don't know what the perfect definition of gender is. We know what we know based on our earthly experiences that are happening right now in our specific cultures, in our specific time. And those things change. Those things change based on things that we learn are based on cultural norms. And so it, it, I didn't feel like it was my place to fight against um, the proclamation as much as just to recognize that, that I didn't understand. I didn't understand what, uh, what God's definition of gender was. Um, and, and that's, I think that there's something that's universal in that, in the sense that, that we, um, we go through our lives picking up labels, and when it comes to uh, when it comes to sexual attraction, when it comes to um, gender, those are those are big labels that we pick up. And so, things like cisgender, transgender, homosexual, heterosexual, um, the smaller things like dog lovers, cat lovers, all of these types of things, we all want to belong to a tribe. We all naturally gravitate towards tribes, and these. These things are extremely helpful because they help us feel like something that's greater than ourselves, even the idea of members or non-members when it comes to uh, the church. But, but they can also draw unnecessary lines in the sand. And, and, and if I associate myself primarily as transgender, and I think that um, these are things that I've seen on my path, is when I've, when I've gotten consumed by the label or have gotten consumed by um, the gender dysphoria, then there's, it's kind of this all consuming um, mindset that I get, that I get into. That's, that's very, that, that I have found for me is selfish and, and not helpful um, when I focus solely on, uh, on the label. 
and 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 what that does is it it makes me lose sight of what's probably more important in that in that paragraph in the proclamation of the family this idea that each of us is the beloved son or daughter of heavenly parents and that each of us has a divine nature and a divine destiny and and that 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 statement um it brings me peace it brings me peace to understand that maybe i don't understand what god's definition of masculine or god's definition of feminine is um, in the eternities but what i do know is that he has he has a divine role for me that each of us that everyone around me has a divine role divine nature a divine destiny um, and that we're all just trying to do our best to to take all of these influences that we have because of this mortal life, all of these labels that are attached to us and figure out how we define ourselves as best possible, as best possible with God's help. It's been, it's been helpful for me. It's been helpful for me, for me on my path as, uh, as an active member of the church um, to not bump up against the proclamation to the world, um, but recognize that there are just simply things that are Things that are there that that I don't that I don't fully understand currently. I had I had a really good friend um, reach out to me and and we were talking about uh, this topic of of gender and masculine and feminine and and uh, and he just said you know I think I think from a from a theological standpoint or from from what we read in the scriptures. I think we're supposed to we're supposed to adopt all of these attributes, these these attributes that maybe some of us think are feminine and some of us think are masculine. Like we're just supposed to we're supposed to seek out the best attributes and we're supposed to adopt those attributes to the best of our ability. And and in the end, a perfected self doesn't become perfectly masculine or perfectly feminine, but that we just we take the best attributes that we can in this life and that we take those with us into the eternities. And I really, I thought that was, uh, I thought that was beautiful and, and really helped me uh, as I considered um, where I was on my path. Yeah. I love that. I culturally, you know, this better than I do in different cultures for men to find different attributes differently than other cultures and women for women. But I love what you just said there. Um, and that's de-shaming all these attributes and bringing them together at times, not making them gender specific, but they're Christ-like attributes that perfect us and help us bring others under Christ. And I love that perspective. It's a theme that has that has helped me consistently, especially as I'm as I as I consider how to manage uh, my gender dysphoria. And I think that this has been voiced in other um, in other podcasts as well. This idea that you know, there are, there are times and seasons and there are, there are seasons in my life where this is especially strong and there are times where it's not as strong and, and being able to recognize, um, being able to have a constant in, in, in God, um, in that source, um, helps me, helps me in, in both, in both states, um, in, in the whole spectrum of states that we find ourselves. And I think that that's, 
that's universal. That's not just um, that's not just the gender dysphoria. That's that's for all kinds of situations that we find ourselves in, where all of us ebb and flow um, in different ways. We're constantly ebbing and flowing. I I feel like one of the things that um, that is is important to at least acknowledge, and that is that uh, just how difficult. Um, finally addressing this was, and it was, it was so helpful for me, uh, to find support in God and, uh, and to find support in, uh, in my spouse and Marissa and Marissa and I have had, uh, a, a blissful marriage. Um, we, we broke up probably a good dozen times before, before we got engaged and we like to say that we got all our kinks out, um, before then, because ever since that point, uh, we've it seems like we've always been on the same page. And this was really the first time that that something came up in our marriage that that we couldn't that we couldn't get over easily. Um, and there was a lot of there was a lot of struggle associated with with having these conversations and a lot of things that came up um, that came to light um, about our different personalities. Uh, from this struggle. There are a lot of conversations that ended in tears, especially at the onset um, as we were trying to work through things and um, either hurt feelings on my part or hurt feelings on her part. It was just, everything was so scary and so new and so raw. We didn't know where the road would lead us and we would just felt like we were tossed, tossed about the waves um, often. Thanks for being so and, honest uh, about that. I think that gives hope for lots of us just to know that mm-hmm. you're in a good spot in your marriage, but it talking and coming out um, is can is difficult, and um, but it doesn't mean the core of the marriage isn't strong and you can't uh, move forward. So I love that you're sharing the reality of your marriage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember, I, I remember... Um, uh, being, I talked about having this blissful marriage, being blissfully naive because we rarely have disagreements. Um, and so just operating under this assumption that, uh, that we were always on the same page. And because there was so rarely conflict between us that we just, we, we thought the same and we operated the same. And, and I think that one of the things, one of the blessings that has come from having this, uh, this really big thing come into our marriage uh, has been a recognition of of who we are individually, and uh, and I'm an individual that uh, that I love to talk. That's how I process things. Um, and Marissa is the opposite. And I had never recognized this. I'd never recognized it before until this kind of this big hard thing came into our relationship. And I remember going for going for a run um, one afternoon, and and the topic of conversation came back to um, gender dysphoria. And, uh, and I remember her stopping around and just saying, listen, I, I can't, I can't talk about this anymore. Like I can't take time out on this. And, and I was shocked. I was like, oh, wait, like you, you don't want, you don't want to talk about this. Like I, I, I want to talk about this. I thought you would want to talk about it too, but it was, it was helpful in that moment to recognize, okay, Marissa processed um, and really hard things differently, and it's something that I should have should have known uh, before, but it just it just hadn't come out. Um, and so, 
So one thing that I, that I would say has been extremely beneficial of, of going through really hard things together is that you, uh, you come to, to recognize and appreciate um, your best self um, and, and your worst self and everything in between as you go through these things together. And, and I really, what I can speak to and what I can bear testimony to is that this, it is made for a stronger relationship. Um, and I think that that's, I think that's usually the case with, hopefully the case with, with trials uh, is that we come out better than, than we were previously. And, and I think for our marriage, uh, it has, uh, we've, we've come out stronger and, and, and definitely more stable than we were previously um, because of this. And, you know, I'm speaking to snapshot in time. I think the one thing that we've realized is that, um, that where we are now is where we are now and, and, and where we'll be is where we'll be. But, um, but speaking to where we are now, it's where we're much more, we're much stronger than before. That's great. So you've been out about how long, just for our listeners understand, you've been married 19 years, I think. And how long yeah. have you been out to Marissa? So um, it was just after our 16th anniversary. It was a couple months after our 16th anniversary. So it's only been, it's only been a few years. A few years. Okay. Speaking to that, going back to the experience of that run of having Marissa tell me, like, listen, like, I can't do this anymore. I cannot, uh, I, I can't talk about this as much as you want to talk about it. And that was, that, that was a, a flag for me that I needed, um, that I needed professional help. And so I, I turned to, I turned to a very close friend, very close and dear friend, uh, who is well connected in, uh, in Salt Lake. Um, and she was a therapist herself. And, and so I called her and I just, I gave her just the kind of highest overview as possible because I hadn't, hadn't said anything to this point outside of MRSA. I remember her telling me things that, uh, that similar to my exchange with God kind of helped, helped me recalibrate and recenter. And she said, you know, first and foremost, she said, Dave, don't be too hard on yourself. And the other thing she said was, you know what, if, if you're feeling these things uh, right now, then uh, this is your mind and your, your soul's way of just telling you that you have space for it. Um, and, and that was one of the benefits, one of the unforeseen benefits of us moving to France. We moved to the French countryside and, and our life was so much simpler. I went from being bishop to, um, to not being bishop, which that's is, a change, uh, which is a change. It is a change in a lot of ways. And, uh, and I think that this was you know, speaking to feelings and, and following direction and not knowing all of the benefits that will come from that. I think that this was one of these benefits of having space to start to actually really, uh, really address, um, uh, my gender dysphoria. And so I was, I was grateful that she would bring that up and she recommended some therapists and I, and I started, I started a therapy, which was, uh, which was really beneficial for me. Um, and, uh, very helpful on, especially at the onset, um, so much was new, so much was unknown for me. Uh, it was really helpful just to come, come together with someone on a regular basis and be able to, to talk about my feelings, my fears, et cetera. That period of therapy probably lasted, you know, this is we're into 
2018 at this point, probably for, for the better part of, of 2018, I, uh, uh, I had therapy, um, which like I said, I found very beneficial. Um, uh, but there were still, there was just still a lot of really raw feelings and emotions and still these, um, these really heavy moments where, um, where there was a lot of shame. There was a lot of shame and a lot of guilt. And a lot of that revolved around the relationship that I had with Marissa and the relationship that I had with the boys. I had been a perfectionist and, and this is a, this was a common theme throughout my childhood and, and throughout my life. I always prided myself on being the perfect whatever. Um, or I, I, I always was striving to be that. And I'd suddenly taken what was really a great relationship and I'd made it very difficult for her. Um, and so uh, there were there were really heavy moments um, during that during that first year um, as we worked through things and and one of uh, another gift that was given to me um, speaking to kind of these uh, these these markers along the path for me was um, was waking up on January first of two thousand nineteen and just having this this phrase, wake up to this phrase, just kind of embedded in my mind. And, and, um, and it was, you know, live, just live free of shame this year. Um, just let it go, just let go of the shame. And there was, I, there was again, this feeling of, of, of a weight being lifted off my shoulders. And I knew that it was, I knew that it was inspired. I knew that it was something that I should pay attention to. And so so I decided that I would, I would adopt that, that I would, uh, when I was feeling shame, uh, when I was feeling guilt, that I would, um, that I would try and move through that as quickly as possible or just not dwell on it. Um, which is where I got into a lot of, uh, a lot of trouble was just previously was just on, on feeling that shame, feeling that guilt, um, and then just letting it, letting it kind of become all encompassing. And so, uh, so I decided to adopt that things suddenly got a lot smoother, um, a lot smoother. And, and we went into, uh, 2019, um, just feeling a lot better, feeling a lot better about myself, feeling a lot better in our relationship. Um, I wasn't, I just decided not to struggle with things and to let things come and go, um, thoughts, feelings, um, and, and I thought things were going really well and that, uh, that this was going to be the new norm and that this was going to get better and better and easier and easier um, uh, as we went along. It gave me space. Um, it gave me space to stop focusing on my, myself, stop focusing on my problems, and start to think about it from, um, from a wider perspective um, and get a little bit above these really strong feelings and emotions uh, that I uh, that I had. This idea of living without shame um, uh, freed me up to to be able to start to communicate to others and and think of it outside of my own experience and think of it uh, um, in terms of kind of a, a more universal experience. I love what you're saying about shame, though. Just the idea that some. I love taking shame out of the equation. I just think that um, helps for better decisions. 
um, and helps to have a better relationship with God. And I love the way you said that allowed me because I don't have shame for gender dysphoria. I felt more comfortable talking to other trusted people. Then I think you have a circle of people that love you, that help you. So I love what you're sharing with us about shame. So yeah, just keep going on. Uh, and allow me to start to address big questions uh, that maybe I hadn't addressed previously. And that was just, how does, how does my, dis, how does my gender dysphoria, how does, how does it work better with my face? So I don't feel like I'm, I am bumping up against it. And as I was considering that, and I was thinking about how I would, um, uh, how I would try and fit this into and continue to fit this into my, my faith-based experience, um, the image and the idea of the safe came to mind. And this recognition that, um, Jesus never apologized for who he was. Jesus lived his life completely true to himself. Um, and, and he was aided by the fact that, that he knew what his divine destiny was. He knew what his divine nature was. We assume that he always, he always knew it, or he knew it at an early age. Um, but what we read in the scriptures and what we, what we see is this individual who, um, who, who, who had no shame um, and, and just did what he knew was right. He magnificently uh, went about um, not adhering to established ideas of his day. Um, he, was, he was queer in his, in his own respect um, of, of not corresponding to his ideals. He had and had many relationships with um, with the rest of society, with tax collectors, with prostitutes. Um, he freely forgave individuals whose sins merited death, um, according to local customs. He was constantly seeking out the outcasts, people that were that were burdened with shame, with guilt. Um, and he gave them love and he gave them acceptance and he helped them from their bondage. Um, and all of these experiences kind of reinforced to me this idea that, you know, we're all, we're all queer in our own special way. Um, don't, none of it correspond to the established ideals we live by. And, and, um, and quite honestly, it's living up to trying to live up to those ideals that cause a lot of friction um, and pain in our lives. Um, and I've, I've seen this in my own personal life. I've seen it uh, as a bishop as well, um, that uh, the more that we try and conform, as opposed to being true to ourselves, um, the harder it is for us. And the reality is the beauty of life there are as many versions of faith-based living as there are individuals that have walked the earth. Um, and that we are all beautifully unique and beautifully diverse um, as individuals. And that we, we deserve to celebrate ourselves. Um, and, and we deserve to honor things in us that, that are the most difficult. As as a bishop, often I would have individuals that would that would come into my office and and they would have such um, such huge on their shoulders that came from shame and guilt, um, and they felt like 
they were convinced that they were the only ones in the congregation that had these problems. And, and I always felt saddened um, at that fact that I wish that we, um, that we could all be a little more open and a little more transparent about these really hard things in our lives we all deserve to recognize that those things that we think are hardest about us, are hardest for others to accept and to love, are actually the things that are drawing us closer to Christ than anything else that are helping us to develop. Go ahead. Go ahead. I just, I love that. Keep, I really agree. You know, we, we, we assume there are these, there are these huge burdens that are weighing us down um, and they can feel like that often. But uh, the wings that give us flight, they're the wings that help us, help us fly closer to God, to Christ, to our divine nature and our divine destiny than, than anything else. Um, you know, there is, there's no real progression in comfort um, and, and trials have their purpose. And these really, and especially these really hard things, you know, as I've, as I have um, opened up about my own experience and as a bishop had interactions with individuals who are going through really hard things, be it depression, um, be it same gender attraction, um, be it difficult marital relationships, these really hard, heavy things that just can knock us off our feet. As, as I watched them work through these things over time, I, I just was in such admiration of them and, and the people that they were, um, they were so close to the Savior. They were so close to their Heavenly Father. They, they, de- they were developing attributes. They had a fast pass, uh, so to speak, during this period of their life of, of developing Christ-like attributes that, that I just marveled at as, uh, as a bishop. And, and I recognized in those moments, in those exchanges, that these were not things that, that, that we should be ashamed of. These are things that we should, that we should celebrate so that other people can have the freedom to do the same, um, because there are there are so many that are at different points um, in our path that could be helped along by knowing that it's okay, that it's it's more than okay, that these are these are these are holy experiences that that you're going through. I love that, and um, I. Th- just for our listeners, I think we're in, we're just talking, we talked at the beginning of this podcast about these four sections and we're in section two, which is talking about a release from shame. Anything more you want to share in that section, David, before we go on to um, my confusing follow-up um, experience with God, give it all up. No, no. I, this, this next section in my, in the past happened around April, May of 2019. So for four or five months, there was this, uh, this really smooth sailing, which was nice. Um, uh, uh, it didn't mean that the gender dysphoria went away. It just meant that it was, uh, it, it was manageable. It was manageable and it was light and, and it just, it just didn't weigh on me. And then a general conference came and, uh, there were some great conference addresses and, and I was on a, I was on a business trip, uh, probably a week or two after general conference. Um, and I was driving, driving through France on a way to, uh, to a client 
uh, client meeting and, uh, and in listening to a conference address, I felt another very distinct impression from God and, and, uh, and that was to give it up to basically sacrifice, sacrifice the experience, um, place it all on the altar and be, be willing to walk away from it. (laughs) And I was so confused and angered at the suggestion. Um, and, and I'd had a couple of these exchanges previously, thankfully, um, to know where it was coming from, but I felt, I felt betrayed. Um, I felt, um, I felt like God had told me, you know what, don't worry about it. Let go all of the shame. Um, and here he was saying, okay, on the altar, it's time to sacrifice it and walk away. I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know why I needed to do that or how to do that. Um, but knowing the source from which it came um, and knowing where these promptings had led me up to this point, I was willing to say, um, I was willing to say, okay. Um, and it was a really emotional period for me as I said, okay, I'm just going to take, I'm going to take, um, Everything that that I have um, that has been part of my um, uh, expression, and I'm going to take all of that. And I'm just going to I'm just going to throw it away. What I learned from going through that um, that really hard patch um, was that God knows He knows me, um, and He knows. He knows what I need and when I need it. You know, going back to even just the proclamation on the family, um, we read there that um, we all knew and we worshiped God as our eternal father. Um, And that we accepted this plan. We accepted the plan whereby we could gain a physical body and gain earthly experience. And the purpose was to to progress towards perfection. And again, realize, it's mentioned again, this idea of realizing our ultimate divine destiny. Um, and, and having felt comfortable uh, in, in my skin with gender dysphoria for, for a few months, for three or four months, um, and suddenly having God say, nope, it's time to get uncomfortable again, um, it just was a reminder to me that there is purpose in, in each segment of the path, um, and that, that we all have to go through our, um, and that we have to be willing in certain moments to place, place everything that we have on the altar and, and be willing to walk away from it. And, and what I learned in the weeks and the months to come um, was that, that there was purpose. There was purpose in the charge. And what it allowed for me to do was to stop worrying about the expression component of, um, of my gender dysphoria. Um, and allowed me to bring focus back into what God had told me when we first started working together, and that was um, focus in on 
the promises that you've made and the covenants that you've made. I remember after, I remember coming home from that, from that work trip, just stepping backwards a little bit and, um, and telling Marissa about these, these feelings and promptings that I had and, and just watching her try to compassionately process what I was saying. Um, and, and she, you know, we were able to communicate openly about where we were at this point and, and there were a lot less hard feelings uh, between us and, and, and she openly voiced, uh, both relief and concern over, over this, over this step. Um, um, there was relief on her part that, that maybe this wouldn't be something that would be present, uh, in, in the relationship that this would dissolve away. Um, but there was huge concern on her part. She felt like, um, you know, this was, um, this was just, I was just repressing again, these feelings and that it might, um, it might just lead to, to future problems. Um, and we were able to talk through those things. And again, uh, she was amazingly supportive and, uh, and was always mindful, uh, and always is mindful of, of where I am. Uh, yeah, I, love I think that one of the greatest, I go, love, ahead, go ahead. I just love the communication between you and Marissa and I love, I'm not a therapist, but I love when you continue to communicate my goal, my commitment to you, commitment to our covenants, commitment to our promises. And that's the foundational element going on here is you then knowing that that's in place, are able to talk about complicated stuff, knowing that there's the same goal, but there's neat things that need to be talked about. And, um, and I just love that you're able to talk about how you're feeling and the personal revelation you're experiencing and both of you are experiencing. And that seems like cornerstones of a healthy relationship. It's been, it's been such a huge blessing in my life to have Marissa because she is such a support. Uh, and uh, she uh, does everything to, uh, to make me feel loved and supported um, and, uh, she never questions, uh, my judgment, which, uh, is probably worth questioning often, but, uh, she is, she is kind and generous in her, in her judgment. Um, and it's, uh, I, I, I take it for granted often just, uh, just how much that, uh, that support has, has helped me, um, on my path, you know, uh, in and out of gender dysphoria, um, just my path as a as a son of God has uh, has has been forever changed by having her in in my life, um, and and so I, I am I'm grateful that uh, that that we do we have a relationship where we can communicate openly and uh, we can speak our feelings and uh, and that's definitely a skill that we that we honed more and more as we. Um, as we've, as we've gone through this experience together. Um, let's move on to this fourth and last segment, unless there's anything. This fourth segment's called Finding Comfort in Transparency. Yeah, so I, I think that this just speaks to the, to, you know, the most recent part of the path that we're on currently. And, and there was, uh, you know, speaking to sacrificing and giving, giving everything up. Um, you know, there was uh, a stretch where, didn't worry about um, expression. I didn't. Uh, I didn't 
really even a lot of the dysphoria was um, was very um, low at that period as well, which was uh, which was wonderful, uh, helpful in 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 that stage. And but as always the case, it's not something that goes away, and it's something that that comes back up and um and as it uh, as it got a little bit stronger towards the end of this year we just we were able to to reevaluate where we were and prayerfully seek next steps that should be taken and then again prayerfully seeking and trying to work with god um i felt strongly like it was time to to open up about my experience um and and really find uh, comfort and peace in uh in transparency um, from the get-go, when Marissa and I started working together and and trying to um, trying to better understand um, my experience and what my experience could be and should be, was this idea that um, that I was living through something that I wasn't sharing with everyone else, and and I think from a um, from probably from a, a selfish standpoint, at least at the onset, um, or just from a, a self-need standpoint, I felt like I needed to get it out of me. I needed to share it um, as a way to help myself. And arriving at the end of this year at a point where I felt like, I still felt like I needed to share, um, or that feeling of needing to share re-emerged, but it was much more so uh, in the spirit of, this is an experience that needs to be shared. Um, it's an experience that is uh, is worth sharing, not because it's something that I needed primarily, but because others would benefit from from this experience. I really I attribute a lot of getting to that point um, uh, of being of being able to take these different stages along the path and and having this clarity uh, of recognizing, okay, this is this is an time. This is a, again a time where where I embrace um, where I embrace the gender dysphoria, but I embrace it in a different way. I embrace it in a way that um, that allows me to openly discuss um, uh, my experience in hopes that um, it might be a benefit to some some other person. Uh, and so I wrote this article. I wrote this article about my experience, uh, and I did that towards the end of uh, 2019, uh, around November, December. And then I sat on it. And I sat on it, uh, even though I knew what I was supposed to do. I knew that I should should start openly communicating and sharing. Um, I sat on it because uh, I was scared. I was scared. Um, I was scared of what people would think and how they would respond. Um, also, it was uh, out of consideration for my boys. I I was I was scared or intimidated about having the conversation with my boys, and obviously, I didn't want to publish anything um, before talking to them. But the the prompting was there, and it was strong enough that um, that. That I did decide to sit down with with my boys and and have an open conversation with them, um, and I knew out of the gate that I didn't want to make it a conversation about me. I, I wanted there to be transparency um, and let them know what I was going through 
but I wanted it so much more to be about them. They were all um, a little bit younger, a little bit older than I was when I first started feeling difficult things and going through difficult things in adolescence. And more than anything, I just, I wanted to let them know that, that one, that I had gone through really hard things when I was their age and that these were what those things were. And it was gender dysphoria. And this is what uh, gender dysphoria was. But more importantly, that I wanted them to know that, that they weren't alone. I wanted them to know that there was always someone that they could come to with whatever they were going through and that they were, they were never alone in whatever their troubles were. Um, and that there was always someone who understood who that was. And, and that might only be the Savior. That might only be God. Um, but that they were never alone in their struggles. And, uh, and they blew me away. They blew me away with their response. Um, and uh, they were so loving and accepting in the moment. Uh, and, uh, and, and I asked for their permission. I said, listen, this is something that, um, that I would like to share. I feel like it would be a benefit. Um, and they said, sure. They said, yeah, go for it. We don't, we don't mind. And their genuine love and appreciation um, and acceptance of me was just, it, it gave me, it gave me the strength that I needed um, to, to feel like I could take that final step of, of opening up and publicly talking about uh, my experience. So on February, early February, you published, um, I'm looking at it here um, on Median, we are all queer disciples of Christ. And we'll link to it in the podcast so our listeners can listen to that. Um, but yeah. that, I read that. I think you or someone sent that to me. That's how we first connected. And yeah. I just thought that it's such a, I thought it was great. And I'm so glad you did that. And I love the process you went to do that. And the yeah. role then of bringing voice and understanding. Because a lot of people on the gender dysphoria road that I've experienced are younger. And and they need voices, you're in your early 40s, I think, need voices of people that have been on this road um, for a longer time that I think help them give them perspective to make better decisions. So I'm so glad that you published the article and are doing this podcast and just your voice is out there as a pretty mature, stable, thoughtful voice. Because um, I think there's a lot of, there's probably more people than I realized that experience gender dysphoria and the pain and distress that, that that you feel with gender dysphoria. So yeah, I'll just turn it back to you to keep sharing your story, David. The article was uh, was um, I, I I still remember hovering over my mouse, hovering over that publish button um, for for probably a good minute before I clicked on it and and sent it off, but. Just the just the overwhelming response that I got from individuals um, of love and and support was obviously was a huge was was it felt great for me obviously but the fact that it would that it would be beneficial to someone and to have individuals um, say that this is something that was helpful um, just reinforced to me this idea of God's greater plan and this idea that that we all have stories that that need to be shared more so for others than for ourselves. Um, and, and in going through that process of publishing and, and, uh, and 
deciding to publish. Uh, you know, I think that the overriding principles that I that I remembered or that I gained from that experience was just this idea that that God's ways are they're not our ways, um, and that what we're in the process of doing while we're here is, um, as Brad Wilcox talks about, we're in the process of learning heaven um, as opposed to earning heaven. I I did my best before publishing to kind of weigh out the pros and cons of of what what might come from um, from openly talking about my experience and. And there were arguments to both sides, and and in the end, I just I had to rely on uh, I had to rely on my feelings, um, and I even received a, a priesthood blessing from a close friend, and just go with those feelings and say, okay, this is what I feel like God wants me to do, and recognize that all through my path thus far, um, doing what what I felt God wanted me to do had 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 brought me greater peace, greater joy greater all of the things that we talk about when we talk about fruits of the spirit. And so, and so being willing to recognize God's will and try and follow that has been, um, has been one of the key things that I've learned through this process. I think another thing that I've learned is just that, that we are, uh, we're expected as children of God to sanctify, sanctify our life experience. And, uh, and that doesn't mean that it has to be done publicly as, as, as I'm doing now, but, but how we sanctify that life experience, how we set it apart or make it holy is something that has to be considered. And, uh, and as I thought about my journey and this specific part of my journey, um, I knew that it was something that needed to be shared in order to be sanctified. And that in going through that, that, um, you know, like I talked about previously, that our, that, that our struggles don't define us. uh, that that our struggles refine us. That they um, that they they move us towards the individuals that God knows that we can become. Um, and and I've seen that over and over again as uh, as I've looked back on who I was before I um, before I openly addressed my gender dysphoria. Um, I feel like I was. Uh, you know, a decent guy um, and uh, not too shabby. I think Marissa would probably say the same. Um, but uh, but I wouldn't trade who I've become um, for getting rid of the gender dysphoria. If that makes any sense, I I have I'm grateful for the person that I've become because I've been able to openly accept this is part of who I am and part of my life and part of my life experience and say, okay, this is, this is part of my life experience. Now, God, what do you want me to do with it? Um, and, and I have, I have grown closer to God. I've, my communication with God has become, um, much holier, um, and much more real because of, because of these experiences. And so, uh, so I'm grateful for them. I'm grateful for the ways that, um, that they do refine me and shape me. Um, and, and so it's something that I give thanks for. I love that. It reminds me of another guest on a podcast, David, that's went through really difficult things and, um, he sort of stopped the what if cycle, um, 
and did the went to what now and looked at mm -hmm. complicated things this part of his life plan even though at times he'd love to give them up um <laughs> recognize that that's part of his beautiful life mission and i rec i think that's where you are and you are and um, you become the wounded here that we've talked about in other podcasts where you know the desert of gender dysphoria so you can help others out of that desert or manage that desert. But I think it, it gives you empathy for people on all types of deserts because you know that life is complicated and it's painful and um, there's really, and and the principles you're sharing to help us be able to help others and help ourselves are very helpful. I love, you know, the no shame and I love you being authentic with who you are, but being authentic with who you are is exactly what you're doing. Sometimes society would say you have gender dysphoria, so this is your path. And maybe you saw some of that online when you first sort of tried to figure out more, but I love your maturity of going slow, working with therapists, getting priesthood blessings, involving your wife and Gender dysphoria is real, as you are helping us understand, and it's not a sign of the last days or you being deceived. It's real, um, yeah. and and I and but I think sort of how we manage that and um, is where a lot of the agency kicks in, and and so what you're sharing is really helpful. Any yeah. closing? Any other closing thoughts? I wanna, I want our listeners. To, we'll link to David's um, median, and as I'm going through this right now, I recognize you are a writer because there's a lot of good articles there, but please, you know, median.com and then David Smurthwaite, S-M-U-R-T-H-W-A-I-T-E, and you can find um, this article, We Are Queer, Dis We Are All Queer Disciples of Christ, um, and that post you did. Yeah, just, Well, thanks for sharing that, Richard. Any um, just things you'd like to share in closing, David? Um, no, I think that uh, um, uh, just gratitude for you. You talk about voices in the desert, and you've uh, you um, you've done a wonderful job of 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 creating a beautiful chorus in the desert of individuals and uh, and their life stories. And I know that that what you're doing is an inspired work and and uh and i and i'm and my my prayer and our prayer i know um was that that this might be helpful for someone and uh and i truly hope that it is and it's been it's been a joy to to talk about this with you and and to feel your love and support as well um and so i just just thank you that's that's if i could say anything and and close with anything it's just a tremendous thanks for who you are and for what you're doing and for this uh this special time together well, you're awfully kind, David. You bring a few tears in my eyes because I feel like my life has been enhanced by having people like you in my life that I consider now a close friend as you've shared, you know, your journey with me and our listeners. And I just think that's how we heal each other and help each other is this a, is talking and taking shame. I think Satan's greatest tool is to create shame around how we really feel inside, whether it's sexual orientation that's not quote the norm or gender dysphoria which you know is not the norm and i think you've been in this world of dealing with that and i just love where you are it's a, i think it's a sign of your spirit i think it's a sign of your goodness i think it's a sign of your life mission and 
I think there's paydays down the road for your marriage and for your own boys. I have to think, I love your way your boys responded. And I have to think that, you know, they need to just know that, you know, they're loved and that dad loves mom and mom loves dad and our families together. And, but I think as they age up, I think they'll better understand your gender dysphoria. I think they understand it to some extent now, and you know that better than I do, but I think it makes uh, some principles that'll just be helpful as they know they can talk to dad and mom about real stuff because dad's been able to talk about real stuff. And I think that there'll just be paydays in, you know, as they age up and need to be able to talk to parents about what's going on in their life because you've talked. I think that'll lead to some wonderful conversations that'll be helpful for them and their love for you and respect for you and ability to give priesthood blessings. And I think that will be a template for your posterity. And so, yeah, there sure there's days that you would love not to have this experience, but I think there's lots of paydays down the road for you bravely pressing the mouse button and and opening up to your wife several years ago and now sharing this a little more broader and appropriate ways. One last question for our younger friends that um, feel gender dysphoria. These would be listeners in their 20s, maybe, and, and teens, and are really new on this path. And what advice, there's been a lot of obviously great advice in this podcast, but what one or two pieces of advice would you directly give to that group? Going back to my own personal experience, for so long, uh, I dealt with uh, these feelings in complete isolation. Um, and and I think that uh, that the youth today or younger listeners are um, are benefited by the fact that there's probably more, more communication around um, around gender, around um, sexual attraction, around spectrums, than there was when when I was when I was their age. But that doesn't mean that that they're not suffering in isolation, or there's there's still that that um, that tendency that we have to think that we're 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 the only ones that are experiencing this. And that, um, or we're the only ones in our immediate circle. We're the only ones in our world to really be going through this. Um, and I guess if I could, uh, speaking from my personal experience as someone who has um, has has gone down the path, and also speaking from my experience as a bishop, um, it would be just to find someone that you can talk to, someone that you can trust um, and that you can start to have conversations about this with. Um, and that in doing so, doors will open. So if I could offer anything, I think that that's it. Just, um, just recognize that you're not alone, that everyone around you is going through something that is not exactly like what you're going through. Um, and what I have gone through is, is only what I've gone through. I'm the only person that's gone through what I've gone through, but, um, but in going through it, um, we're able to, just as you said, Richard, we're able to start to glean what it means to, uh, to feel Christ-like love and Christ-like empathy and recognize what it, what it means to go through a trial. And, and there are, 
And those people surround all of us. Those people surround all of us. And as we open up about our own trials, um, we we miraculously find individuals that are willing to open up and and love and accept us because because they've gone through things that are that feel the same. So love that. That would be my great advice. And um, I love a phrase you put in that advice that is full of hope. You and I wrote it down. Doors will open as you talk about this. And you're right, it doesn't need to be a lot of people. For you, it was your wife and Heavenly Father, but I think doors open up as you learn to talk about how you feel. And um, we can always talk to Heavenly Father about how we feel. Nothing nothing about, I mean, His relationship with us is unconditional. He may not always approve of behavior, but He always wants us to talk to Him. So if you listeners are wondering, well, I've sort of got to go through the repentance process or I've got to become more spiritual to talk to God and I'll do that down the road. I think David and I would both invite you to you know, open that door to God now. He loves you now and he will help you now and um, then other people. Um, so David, I'm Smirthwaite calling in from Vietnam. Um, thank you so much for being on an episode of Listen, Learn and Love and thank you our listeners Everybody stay safe. This is Richard Osler signing off.